This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to their elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. At the end of the day, when you're investing in a company, you're investing in people. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie Guest, and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Hello, Maddie. I'm excited for today's episode because we are speaking to Eleanor Swanson from Fire Trail, and we kind of ambushed Eleanor at Finfest. <laughs> well, we've been wanting to get her on the podcast for a long time. I think we've been far, what's the word, far away admirers, yeah. <laughs> admirers, that's the word I'm looking for, for quite a while of her work. She really is quite incredible and she has a real knack for a good stock pitch. Yeah, and I think her story is really relatable, getting into investing as a female, millennial, Yeah, we've resonated a lot with them. Just a heads up, if you are new to investing, we do recommend that you go back and listen to our summer series, Investing Conversations That Every Millennial Should Have. It took place at the end of last year. Eleanor has been in the industry for a long time. She is quite the pro, so she uses a little bit of jargon today, which you shouldn't be afraid of. But if you are new, we recommend you go back to those episodes. Take us to the intro, Mats. Today, we are excited to be talking with Eleanor Swanson, Portfolio Manager at Firetrail Investments. Eleanor has over seven years' experience in the finance world and in that time has become quite the expert in Australian small companies. We're excited to learn about all of that and more today. Eleanor, welcome to your In Good Company. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Sophie, for having me on the show. No worries at all. Now, we usually start off by getting to know you a little bit better. So wanting to know what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past seven days? Well, I was just saying to Maddie that I've uh, moved into a new place in Coogee. So I feel like I've timed it beautifully with summer kicking off in Sydney, um, right next to the beaches, the restaurants. Yeah, it's an upgrade. So feeling pretty good about the move. And I was just saying that I'm very jealous and I need to work on sofa and move up to Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? Uh, So I've actually just finished this person's biography um, and I am a little bit of a science nerd, so that's kind of where it's coming from. They're also not alive, so I'm assuming that I'm allowed to go on a dinner date with a um, person that we bring back to life. Yeah, the person would be uh, Marie Curie. Um, So I just read her biography. It's written by um, her daughter, And, you know, I'm sure you're aware she's won two Nobel Prizes. She had a really tough life. And I just think she'd be fascinating to have dinner with. When you said you just finished the biography, I thought you meant you finished writing it. And I was like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) She really can do it all. (laughs) (laughs) Of scientists. (laughs) I was very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't quite got there. 
Do you find that you're a biography reader? Like, is that the type of book that you go to? Not really, actually. I just find her fascinating. And so I saw it on a bookshelf and had to read it. I'm actually more of a fiction girl. Um, I find, you know, when you're working long hours, you kind of just want something to switch off. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit out of my usual genre. Yeah, I'm the same. Every time I go on holiday, I'm like, just give me something that I don't have to concentrate on. Thank you. (laughs) And Eleanor, if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? Yeah, so um, again, this is something I've been looking at recently. We did a bit of work on fund managers in Australia. We wanted to get a bit of beta into our portfolio and we landed on Pinnacle Investment Management and they actually own uh, 20% of Firetrail. So I might be a little bit biased, but it's a really awesome company. Um, Basically what they do is they seed fund managers. So um, the great thing about Pinnacle is that they're diversified across asset classes. So most fund managers in Australia, you know, they're either an equity manager or, you know, a, a real asset manager. And so you don't get that diversification. Whereas Pinnacle, they've got real assets, they've got credit, they've got equities, they've even got agriculture. So when the equity market's down, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to underperform. Um, And it's really capital light model. So to date, for the fund managers they've invested in, they've got a 10x return on that initial capital outlay. So it's a pretty amazing business model. um, And I think it's a pretty good company to be in if you kind of have a positive uh, medium term view on the market, which... All of us people that work in markets do have that positive medium term view. So, uh, yeah, if I was a company, I'd love to be (laughs) Pinnacle. (laughs) Well, Eleanor, you say that you've been working in markets and you have been for a little while now. And I think you've made quite the name for yourself with some pretty incredible stock picks along the way. But I'd love to go back to sort of you when you were starting out investing on your personal journey. What would you say do you think was your biggest motivator for sort of learning about investing and sort of wanting to grow your wealth, I guess? Yeah, I I think what really got me into investing was just, I I just loved trying to find companies that were going to outperform the rest of the market. And I think it's pretty overwhelming when you're starting out trying to figure out what that is. I heard one of my girlfriends referring to um, markets as, you know, like reading the star charts, (laughs) like it just seems so random, why stocks move up and down. Um, But at Firetrail, we kind of try and keep it pretty simple. And we've got three philosophies that kind of drive how we think about investing. Um, And so one of them is that, you know, every company has a price. So we're very driven by valuation. So, um, you know, we're not going to just jump into, you know, I feel like cryptocurrencies was a massive fad that everybody jumped into. Um, At the moment, it seems like everybody wants to jump into lithium stocks because of decarbonization and electric vehicles. And we see a lot of companies in that space that look incredibly overvalued to us. So we're always, you know, trying to figure out what we actually think the assets are worth. And over the medium term, you do get much better returns um, investing based off valuations. So that's one thing we do. Um, Another thing we do is that we try and focus on kind of two or three key things that are going to drive the share price of a company. If you're looking at a company, there's often huge amounts of news flow. You can get distracted going down a rabbit hole. So we just focus on these two or three drivers. 
And I mean, like a good example would be, you know, O-Media, which is an outdoor advertising company. You know, if we think about what matters for O-Media, it's going to be what's the ad market doing? Um, you know, how are they going in terms of recovering their revenue post-COVID? And then do they have a good balance sheet to withstand an economic cycle? And if you get those three things right, you're probably going to, you know, make the right decision in terms of investing. So, yeah, we kind of have those kind of few philosophies we think about. Um, the other one is um, share prices follow earnings. So I'm sure you've seen if you've been following, you know, quarterly earnings season in the US, you know, the minute a stock downgrades, the share price follows. So we're pretty obsessive with forecasting earnings for companies in our portfolio and making sure that um, the companies are either going to meet or beat analyst expectations. And if they're not, you know, we probably would seriously consider moving it on because we just know how the share price is going to react. So keeping it simple and, and kind of following those three key philosophies has really helped me I guess, uncover what drives a company to outperform the market. And it's made investing a lot more interesting, I guess, because it doesn't feel like some sort of random, you know, up, down, volatile, all over the place beast that's uh, overwhelming. Yeah, it's a great strategy, although I have to say I'm not sure what you mean about stars moving all over the place. I think personally I'm a bit of a believer in star science, so I think there's a lot of logic to that. (laughs) Now, it sounds like you obviously have a very long career in the profession, so I think along the way you would have learnt a lot. For you personally and for someone that's listening at the moment, you know, thinking about the market being volatile, you're saying that, you know, you don't see it as such a volatile thing if you've got your less in place like what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned on your personal journey with investing I think one of the key kind of takeaways for me is um often you come up with an investment thesis uh, and it can look really incredible in a slide deck or you know in an excel model um, you put in all the drivers and, and it looks amazing but at the end of the day when you're investing in a company you're investing in people so you, you often will hear fund managers, you know, go on and on about, you know, how companies in their portfolio, you know, they've got amazing management teams, you know, they've got an ownership stake in the business. And it kind of, after a while, you know, starts to just, you know, sound like they're repeating, repeating the same thing. But I do honestly believe that having a good management team in place with the right incentive structure uh, and with the right experience to actually go and execute on the strategy is incredibly important. And we've seen it time and time again. Like if we've had an investment thesis, it sounds incredible, um, but then the management team hasn't been correctly incentivized. You know, their short-term and long-term incentives aren't closely aligned to shareholders. Maybe they don't have, um, you know, a significant ownership stake in the company. And we just see that, you know, time and time again, they fail to execute on the strategy and the investment thesis often falls apart as a result. So I think one of the biggest lessons for me and and some advice I'd give people um, looking to invest is to do your due diligence on management, not necessarily just the CEO and the CFO. I'd even go the level below and look at, you know, the head of sales, um, you know, the chief marketing officer, the chief technology officer, do your due diligence because at the end of the day, you're investing in a management team to go away um, and execute on the company's strategy. Yeah, it's interesting you say management team because I think that's one of the things that Mads and I always tend to look at and you look at the people's story because it's you know not easy to relate to, but it kind of gives you flavor to how they're managing the business. But what do you, like, what would you specifically look for in people that are, you know, if you're going down to that level of middle management, like, what are you looking for? Is you looking for that they have a good career, a good background? Like, yeah, I'd definitely be looking at whether they've got experience that's relevant um, to the industry, um, 
What's their track record been like? Um, I mean, ideally you try, we get great access to the CEO and the CFO, but we often try and get access to that next layer down of management because often the CEO and the CFO are the talking heads, but the um, people, the women and men in the layer below are the ones actually going out and executing. So it's great to um, meet with them um, and just actually hear if they're, if they're able to speak like quite specifically about how they're going to go and execute on something, you know, give you time horizons, give you clear metrics on, you know, what they're looking to achieve, what are their KPIs. That's a really good sign. I find if they're kind of waffling um, and not giving you specifics, that might be an indication that they don't really have a plan themselves. I definitely look at an annual report and have a look at, you know, management's incentives. Um, you know, they, they will have hurdles in terms of what they have to hit um, in order to get paid their bonuses and their long-term incentives. So that's very useful to look at. But yeah, I mean, you can you can even go on LinkedIn, kind of do a little bit of a background check on, on some of these people and <laughs> sticky beak on, you know, what, what other people are saying about them, you know, have they got, you know, recommendations, um, good industry contacts. Yeah. I mean, I think doing your DD on, on management teams is really important. So Fanawa joked me the other day that we like to go on Glassdoor and see what people are saying about their employers. It gives you like a quite an interesting inside perspective on leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm interested to hear what perspective do you think that sort of millennials can bring and I guess particularly millennial women to the investing landscape? You know, what's what's the sort of Eleanor contribution to the team, do you think? Um, I think one of the nice things about millennials is we're kind of a fresh pair of eyes. I think often, you know, um, men and women who've been in the industry for decades, you know, they do get a little bit wedded to companies um, and they can also be a bit jaded by, you know, past companies, you know, failing to meet their expectations and being really disappointing investments. And then they never want to look at that company again, basically. Whereas, you know, a millennial's willing to go everywhere, have a look, um, consider new business models, so I think that's kind of one of the nice things about millennials. Maybe we're not so jaded. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of millennial women, I mean, I think women, and, and this is a bit of a generalisation, but there have been studies done that um, women tend to take a little bit more of a medium-term view when it comes to just generally setting strategies, but in particular with investing, like we're willing to be a little bit more patient, we will be a little bit more willing to hold Whereas um, we definitely see this in the investment team, you know, men are very, you know, short term driven, you know, they like to see short term earnings be, you know, a big catalyst come off um, and they may be less patient. But I think um, it's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, if, if you get profits right in the short term, you will get upside. So I think it's quite a nice complimentary thing that women do take that kind of more patient approach. Um, men are a little bit more catalyst driven. And then if you kind of mix those two components into an investment team, it kind of balances out quite nicely. So I think that's kind of what millennial and a millennial woman might bring to an investment team. <laughs> well, that's what they say, right? When you're working at work, it's like they want to hire diverse people because everyone needs to bring their own, you know, stuff to the table. But I think it's a, a good summary because I, I mean, for me, I have a lot of friends that are always like, you know, maybe investing isn't for me, but really 
if you bring your own perspective and you bring your own experience, there's always, there's something you're investing for everyone, I find. Absolutely. And, and I mean, to uncover a good investment opportunity, you can't be thinking the same as everybody else, because if you're thinking the same as the way the market's thinking, it's probably already in the price. Like to, to be different is where you really find that alpha um, in a stock. You've got to uncover a different angle. You can't be thinking the same as everybody else. Well, speaking of discovering a new angle, can you give us a recent example of a stock that you pitched to add to the fund and sort of what helped you build the conviction in that stock? Yes. So kind of going back to what I was saying about, you know, one of Firetrail's key philosophies is about, you know, trying to focus on those two or three key things that matter. That's really helped us with one investment we've made fairly recently. It was the start of this year. It's one of the top holdings in the fund at the moment. And that was in aged care operator Estia. And I'm not sure if you've ever looked at any of the aged care operators or that space, but it's kind of a bit of a no man's land. Nobody wants to go there. There's a lot of regulation. The sector has been absolutely hammered over the last five years because governments basically cut funding and it's meant you've had negative jaws because their cost have been inflating ahead of the indexation that the government's been providing. So people just have steered clear of the sector. It's complicated, regulations changing. And so we we kind of took a step back and went, well, this is actually a key piece of infrastructure for the Australian population. We have an ageing population. You know, the population over the age of 85, you know, is set to grow at, you know, four to five percent per annum versus the normal population at one and a half percent so we know that we need aged care operators Um, the government knows that operating margins in the sector are way too low and so they need to change that they need to improve funding in order to attract capital back into the sector so that you know Australia has enough beds to support all these people that are going to be moving into that kind of 85 plus age bracket So if you take a step back, even though it's quite unclear what's happening in terms of the regulation, we know where it needs to go. And the other really exciting thing about the aged care sector is that it was not a COVID beneficiary, unlike a lot of the other healthcare names. And so what we're starting to see is that occupancy in the sector recovery, and it's really leveraged. So every 1% increase in occupancy over 90% equates to about 5 million of EBITDA for SGR. So... Um, When we see that occupancy improve, we're going to see earnings improve and then medium term, we're expecting this funding outlook to really improve. Um, And so we just think it's a great place to be. 70% of the valuation of the company sits within its property assets. So you've kind of got a floor under the share price and then the rest is all upside. So yeah, that's kind of how we've uncovered that opportunity is just kind of taking a step back and saying, well, this is important infrastructure, this matters to Australians and therefore we think we can build a pretty rock-solid investment thesis around it. So I feel like you have combined two lessons that I really took away from FinFest. And for anyone listening, we <laughs> met Eleanor at FinFest, so just bring it back to where we first met. The first one is that you can find really good companies in industries that people don't like because they don't touch it. So it's like you can find something good like a diamond in the rough. And the second is invest in something that has like an inflection point. So like if there's money money being pumped into a sector, then you can often find good investment opportunities there. And I feel like that really combined two of the lessons that I took away. <laughs> Look at you go. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So how do you actually build your conviction? Unfortunately, I don't feel like there's an easy answer for this, except that you have to do the work because if you don't do the work, you're just not going to build that conviction. So you've got to be willing to go 
deeper, read more, think outside the box in terms of your research, you know, talk to, you know, as many different contacts as you can to really try and build a holistic view of not only the company you're looking at, but the industry, maybe think about that industry in different countries, look at the competitor set, you know, talk to people who work in the industry. Yeah, you just, in order to build conviction, there's no easy way. Uh, You've got to go out and do the work. Yeah, that's that's the only way, unfortunately. I wish I had an easier solution for you. Not the answer we want. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to take a quick ad break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to get to your bread and butter, which is small cap investing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Small cap is one of those classic investing jargon terms. Can you break it down for us? What is a small cap stock? And more importantly, why have they become your area of interest? Okay. So um, when we talk about small caps, we're basically, if you think about the Australian share market, you've got kind of the top 100 companies, which would be the ASX 100. Small caps is basically anything below that. So yeah, you're probably going from, you know, say a three or $4 billion company, still considered a small cap. I know that sounds huge, but that would still be sitting in small cap land. And then we'd probably go all the way down to a hundred mil market cap. And then below that, you're starting to get into micro cap territory. So yeah, so we're kind of focused on that part of the market and it's a pretty large um, universe. We've got about 700 different companies in the small cap universe. Our fund is benchmarked against the small ordinaries, which is basically goes from that X100 all the way down to the 300. So there's about 200 companies that sit in the small lords, um, but we can also invest below that. So yeah, huge universe. How I got into small caps? Well, originally I was working on our large cap fund, but The sectors I were working on had a lot of companies that kind of sat more in that kind of smid space, so small to mid cap. Um, And so I just kind of naturally got drawn more into the small caps. I was looking at media, consumer tech. And then at Firetrail, we were running our um, market neutral fund and we had a small cap sleeve in the market neutral fund. And I was working on that part of the fund with another guy called Matt. And then just before COVID, we kind of stepped out of that focus area and launched the Firetrail Australian Small Companies Fund. And for me, I find investing in small caps incredibly exciting because if you think about, you know, the ASX 100, like they've done their dash in terms of growth, like they're the top 100 companies in Australia already. 
Whereas when it comes to, you know, small caps, you're trying to find what's that next company that's going to get into the 100s. And that's where you get the really big returns instead of, you know, CBA is having a good year if it's up 20%. Whereas, you know, small caps having a good year if it's up 100%. There's just a lot more alpha on offering small caps. But that being said, there's also heightened levels of risk because the business models aren't as proven out. They don't have such long-term track records or such, you know, strong corporate governance. So you, you are part of the job with investing in small caps is trying to avoid the bombs. Um, so whilst you're trying to find these incredible companies that can grow into the next big Australian companies, yeah, you've also got to make sure that you're really managing risk and doing a lot of due diligence. So it's lots of fun. So the natural follow-up question that comes to mind is how do you avoid the bombs? You know, when you're looking at a company, are there any sort of things that stand out to you as like key risks that make you think, oh, I don't want to go there or I guess vice versa, anything that when you see it, it's like, oh, that's something that's particularly interesting that you might dig further? Yeah. Well, well, as I said, so we're looking at a huge universe, so 700 different companies. So one part of our process is to actually put a company through what we call an investment um, quality scorecard. So, and that just allows us to quickly filter out an idea and figure out actually, do you know what, that's got too many hairs on it. It's got some red flags. Let's park that idea and, you know, move on to something else. So we'll probably spend about a day going through this investment grade scorecard. And what we're looking at, so there's kind of three components to the scorecard. So the first is kind of back to the previous um, point we made around management teams, We'll do due diligence on the management team. We'll do due diligence on the board. Make sure that you know they're strongly aligned in terms of um, their incentives with shareholders. We'll make sure they've got the right level of experience that's suitable for the industry and the company. Another thing we'll look at is financial disclosure. So often with small caps, what you'll see is that they might change around how they disclose things within their segmentals, or you know they might change kind of some of their key metrics that they're reporting. And that's a little bit of a red flag. If we're having trouble forecasting the earnings for that company, we would put that in the too hard basket. If I can't forecast with certainty based off your historicals, you know, what you're going to do in the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll filter that out. We, we kind of need some regular reporting from that company. The third thing we'll look at is, you know, is the business model sustainable? So if you think about, you know, the buy now, pay later space, there are a lot of kind of subscale players that popped up um, and, you know, we pretty quickly came to the conclusion that it was going to be quite hard for them to get scale and to be around in three to five years' time. So that was a quick and easy, you know, filter up out of our investment universe. We just didn't look at them. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, I guess how we one, – one way in which we avoid the bombs is just putting them through that quick kind of process to filter out if they're a good investment opportunity or not. Maddie can um, probably mention <laughs> – <laughs> by now, pay later investment that she made, which has been a bit of a disaster. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> <Arse. laughs> we don't want to talk about those. Yeah. Just <laughs> no, we speak openly about our mistakes here because mistakes are all about learning. <laughs> yes. <that's> very true. <laughs> so, Eleanor, if you were to look into your crystal ball and have an insight into the future, what industries do you think will come out on top in the next couple of years? And can you give some examples of some of your favourite small cap investment opportunities in those industries? So we've touched on aged care. I think that's a really interesting industry if we kind of take more of a medium term view. Um, I also think the in the media sector, 
you've got a lot of kind of traditional media players that, you know, probably structurally challenged, but one that isn't would be O-Media. So if you think about, you know, TV, losing share, you know, because of Netflix and other subscription services, similar to radio. And so if you want to do a big brand campaign, online's just not going to get the same traction. It's more performance-based. So kind of your only option really is outdoor media. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, out on the streets, they've started to digitize a lot of these signs. Um, So they're doing really cool things. Like if you want to have an ad that's weather dependent, so I don't know if you want to advertise, you know, an umbrella when it's raining. Um, I mean, that's a really basic example, but, you know, they're doing really clever things to adapt that industry to become more digital and based off, you know, kind of demand. So, for example, you know, in the morning, advertising coffee makes a lot more sense than, you know, advertising dinner. So kind of adapting um, to that. So we think outdoor looks really interesting, kind of more medium term. It's currently about 7% the ad market and you know the industry's view is that they should get to 10 percent. so you've got some short-term volatility depending on what you know media ad markets are doing but medium term we do think that's a structural grower I'm trying to think what else i mean there's a lot of interesting opportunities in the technology space which has been heavily sold off recently i mean we really like life 360 i'm sure you guys we pitched it at our finfest we were there <laughs> it is quite a new business model and and we think that's got huge potential um you know in the u.s market looking at you know that sap family safety how can you use technology to better protect your family yeah so they're kind of i guess three ideas which we think if you look out medium term um, they're going to be winners well you said before when you're looking at a company you need to have a really holistic view and like speak to people about the company or and whatever else and i will say maddie and i did a went up to the conference for o media and presented as did a little investing how to invest so can say all the employees are very money savvy now and they're a great team they're a really great team so there's the inside of pitch for o-media <laughs> fantastic oh that's good to hear that you've met with the o-media team and done yeah. the due diligence for me yeah we've done our due diligence on the, on the staff and female female led female led kathy came yeah, to our yes. presentation so yeah we love kathy she's awesome well, we are almost getting to the end of today's chat, Eleanor, but before we get to our final question, if people want to learn more about you or about Fire Trail, can you give us the pitch? Where should they head? Okay, so if you, if you want to learn more about Fire Trail, we've actually got a fantastic website, which our um, head of sales, Kyle McIntyre, is very proud of. So <laughs> if you type in www.firetrail.com, um, you should get all the info up there. Um, and if you want to learn more about the funds, I mean, I'll, I can just give you a quick high level. So we've got four funds at Firetrail. So we've got the um, Australian High Conviction Fund, which is our large cap fund. There's about 25 stocks in that fund um, and they all sit within the ASX 200. We've then, then got the Australian Small Companies Fund, which is the fund I work on, which is the most exciting fund because <laughs> Obviously. it's got the most alpha sitting there. So much alpha potential. Um So, um, yeah, so we've got about uh, 40 stocks in the fund at the moment. And as I mentioned, we're benchmarked against the small ordinaries. Um, A really great thing about our fund is that, so our index actually has about 35% of it sits within resources. So mining companies, you know, energy stocks. um, And uh, my co-portfolio manager, Matthew Fiss, he's actually um, got a resource background. He used to work for BHP for many years. He's a mining engineer. So we've really got an edge when it comes to that resource part of the market. 
Another fund we have is the market neutral fund. So basically that just takes out the, I guess, exposure to the market. Um, so it basically takes $1 of your money and it goes $1.50 long and $1.50 short and it takes out that market um, exposure. And that really pulls on kind of our best ideas from our large cap fund, our best ideas from our small cap fund, and then we have short ideas in there as well. And the final fund, which we've launched um, about 12 months ago now, is the Global Fund. So it's actually got a bit of a sustainability bent. So that fund is actually looking to uncover uh, companies that are trying to improve their ESG credentials because we see companies, you know, like Tesla or, you know, companies with that real ESG lens, you know, trade at huge premiums to other companies. So we're trying to kind of capture these companies before they become these ESG leaders. So that's a, a really great fund if you're looking to get more of a global exposure and you'd like a little bit of that kind of sustainability tilt in there as well. So yeah, they're the four fire trail funds. Oh, sounds very interesting. I'm excited to check out the fabulous website. I'll give you some feedback if there's anything. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> now, Eleanor, our final question, we touched on lessons um, before earlier in the episode, but we ask each guest the same question to finish out, which is, if you had a piece of advice for someone starting out on their investment journey, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, I'd say when it comes to investing, you, you really need to do your research. Like there's just no way around it. And I feel, I hear a lot of my friends kind of just following the pack and they'll get a stock tip from someone and they'll just go, great, I'll just chuck some money in that instead of actually trying to understand what that company does. Is it a good sector to invest in? why um yeah I, I just feel like there's no way around it you need to do your research and if you don't have the time to do the research like i'd recommend you know maybe starting out putting your money to work with a fund manager or even in the index because the great thing about that is is it's less you're not punting you're actually getting a diversified portfolio that through different market cycles should give you some upside potential as well as some downside protection instead of you know what we saw recently you know in that sell-off where a lot of millennials put their money to work and they were all in the tech sector or high growth companies oh, no. which went so well up until it didn't um, whereas if you're investing you know with a fund manager or in, or in an index you're getting that diversification so you'd have some resource stocks in there you'd have some banks in there so your portfolio should withstand this market volatility a lot better. It's a great piece of advice. Eleanor, thank you very much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for having me on the show, Maddie and Sophie. It's been great. I think, as I said on this week's episode and on last week's episode, because we spoke about mid caps as well, I am still researching my mid caps. It sounds all very exciting. Yeah, I'm feeling very inspired to do more research, actually. I think with the recent sort of market downturn, have really turned to ETFs and have been focusing a lot on that and have almost disengaged a little bit from the markets. But Eleanor's got me pretty excited about the ability to like spot new and exciting opportunities when you do your research. So Let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it together. <laughs> As always, you can find us on social media. Join us on Instagram at YIGC Podcast. Jump into our Facebook group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. We'd love to hear if you're researching any small cap or mid cap stocks at the moment. We'll start a thread. We want to hear from you. And please share this with a friend if you enjoyed and subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will catch you next week. Bye. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 